You're listening to the Speaking Tongues podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 87, Speaking Burmese. Hello, language lovers. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues, the podcast and conversation with multilinguals. Today, I'm joined by Katie from Myanmar Indigenous Community Partners to talk about the Burmese language and indigenous languages in Myanmar. Katie tells us how she got started with learning Burmese language and how she uses it in her work as a linguist. We talk about grammar and how its structure stands out among the other languages of the region. And Katie talks to us about over 100 languages spoken in Myanmar by indigenous groups and how these languages get used in daily life. We talk about the eight major, in quotation marks, indigenous languages in the country and how they are used in the area bordering Bangladesh and Thailand. Katie gives us a brief explanation of the conflict happening now in Myanmar and shares resources for all of us to learn more about the conflict in depth. We also learn about Myanmar indigenous community partners and the work that they're doing to advocate for the language and education of indigenous groups in Myanmar. Big thank you to Katie from MICP and to learn more about their work in the community, you can click the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode of Speaking Tongues, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Speaking Tongues podcast on Apple Podcasts and like and subscribe on YouTube so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. And if you've been a longtime listener of the show or even a recent listener, you can now support the show on buymeacoffee.com. Links to all platforms are in the show notes. Okay, let's chat. So welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. I'm here today with Katie. How are you today, Katie? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm so excited to talk to you for this conversation. And I like to start each episode with the same question. And that is, what is your first language and which languages have you learned to speak? My first language is English, American English, to be specific. Um, What language have I learned to speak? I've learned lots of different languages throughout my life, but I use... Burmese in my work. So I don't know that I could use any other language to that extent, like in a work environment. Okay, cool. What led you to learning uh, the Burmese language and what was that experience like? Yeah, so moving to the country of Myanmar, formerly Burma, um, was the reason. I guess the reason for moving there was for work. I'm trained as a linguist. Um, so I work with lots of different language communities there. What was the experience of learning Burmese like? Yeah, you know, I could say a lot about the experience. It was definitely <laughs> an interesting experience. You know, sometimes what people don't talk about in language learning is like the social aspect, right? So people always talk about like the grammar and the phonetics and um, things like that. But I mean, really sort of the point of language is communicating with others, right? So um, it was really interesting. Lots of people were resistant to talking to me in Burmese um, because they saw that as a white person, they just want to talk to me in English. So it was always kind of an interesting thing to try to navigate because I really wouldn't have practiced, but they wouldn't have practiced their English. So yeah, that was something I wasn't really expecting, I guess, before before I started studying the language. When you moved to Myanmar, did you have any knowledge of the language before you moved there? Or did you have to hit the ground running? Kind of hit the ground running. I mean, there's a man, um, John O'Kell, he's from the UK. He had um, developed a kind of curriculum that he used at SOAS in London. So I had looked through that a bit and kind of heard some of his recordings. So it wasn't, it wasn't completely new, but mostly <laughs> I hadn't studied it at all. Were there any, were there any of the other languages that you've studied previously were they helpful for you at all when it came to learning Burmese yeah I would say so in sort of my linguistics background just knowing all of the different I don't know features and constructions that 
can occur in languages. I think it kind of gave me a better framework for understanding and approaching language and kind of like what I said before, I guess, um, sort of the psychological aspect. It wasn't as intimidating, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Tell me about the language. So, okay. So where did you, where did you start, I guess, when you got there and, you know, you talked about the social aspect and people not really wanting to converse with you and wanting to just try their English, but when you started learning the language, where did you start um, when you were there? How did you how did you get the ball rolling, so to speak? Um, and tell me some things about the language itself. Like, is it tonal? Is it uh, agglutinative? Is it gendered? You know, all those grammar tidbits that <laughs> people like to dissect. Yeah. yeah, so I started, there's like a little was I don't even know what the situation is now um like a little school um but it was really just like one-on-one classes sort of tutoring uh style um so I started there um just super helpful so then my teachers could also kind of become my guides in a way like helping me navigate like I was saying just the culture and language learning and how to approach that like outside of the classroom um so yeah we started with what did we start with I guess we started with greetings actually I guess that's something interesting about the language like if you ask a Burmese person how they say hello they'll probably say mingalaba but that's not like what you're gonna like tell the person selling you whatever fish at the market like mingalaba is like super formal so like if you're on a stage if you're like greeting a crowd you'd say mingalaba but if you just like say it on the street it sounds really bizarre but a lot of foreigners don't realize that so they're just like walking around saying mingalaba to the taxi driver um it just sounds really funny (laughs) um so they'll say different things to greet people like they'll say where are you going where are you coming back from they love to comment on your appearance like you've gotten prettier you've gotten fatter you've gotten skinnier they're very open about that it's kind of different for americans Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's people will say sorry i'm gonna keep going (laughs) describing the language um people will describe it as a tonal language but it's not really tone like uh thai or mandarin chinese it's and they learn it the kids will learn it like those kind of like what's the word recite it they'll go so the first one is they will call it like a stop tone it's not really tone it's like we call it polyphonation it's creaky voice if any of your listeners are linguists and they don't creaky voices um and i think there's kind of like a little glottal stop on the end but i don't know i'm not really a phonetician mm-hmm. and the other two tones it's like this kind of like bundle of things bundle of features happening and I think the sort of most salient feature is vowel length, actually. So it's not really proper tone, but sometimes it's described as tone because it doesn't really fit neatly into any category. So I imagine that that might be difficult for, and I hate using the word difficult, but it might be challenging for a native English speaker. Um, did you feel that way? Yeah, I still feel that way, especially when I'm trying to write something. I Sometimes I don't know which way to write it, especially for the, they call it the short and long tone, quote unquote. And how about the alphabet? Like what, what is it like learning the Burmese alphabet? I really enjoy learning different scripts. I studied Arabic before I'd studied some Greek. Um, so I'd already learned some new scripts and I really enjoy learning new scripts. Um, and the Burmese script was totally new to me. So it's, different i can't even remember what to call it like in linguistics terms but it's kind of a mix between a syllabary and a phonetic alphabet okay so it's like based on the consonants and then like the vowels and the like the tone things diacritics that go around it if that makes sense it's like thai if anyone knows thai (laughs) okay um that's so cool so i know nothing about Burmese language and and I don't know very much about the culture so I'm really taking this as an opportunity to like learn as much as I can during this conversation and I did some research before we sat down to talk um, and 
There are so many languages spoken in Myanmar, and it is such a diverse country, ethnically, right? Ethnically. Yeah. And linguistically. <laughs> yeah, both. Yeah. <laughs> both. Um, so Burmese is the national language, right? How- yeah, it's the official language, according to the constitution. <laughs> it's the official language. Okay. So how is that, how is Burmese used um in Myanmar when there are so many other languages spoken do people use it is it only used officially do people use it in conversation is it spoken in schools etc cetera, etc cetera? yeah um since it's the official language it's the official language of the central government um it's the language that's used in schools and then in Burmese areas or Bama areas. So the Bama people usually obviously speak um, Burmese as their first languages. So in those areas, it's definitely used by everyone. Um, in other areas like big cities, it's definitely kind of a lingua franca. Other areas, especially as you get farther out, because the Bama is kind of, they're kind of concentrated in the center of Myanmar. Um, so if you get out, especially into the hills, you'll find less and less Burmese and there's different regional languages of wider communication okay am i saying am i saying the country wrong am i because i'm saying it with a hard r at the end is it Myanmar? well you know i don't know that we really have like a accepted pronunciation in english yet i don't think we've really collectively decided on that yet <laughs> in the burmese language there's not really an r it was just there because of the british oh those brits yeah okay <laughs> I should have asked that from the beginning, but listening to you say it, I'm like, oh, this is time for me to learn to correct myself. So um, what should I say going forward? I think we have to decide it, kind of decide that collectively. Because, you know, like other countries, we don't call Spain España, right? We have our own English version of the country name. So Good we point. can try to pronounce it as closely to what most Burmese speakers would say, or we can just pronounce it like most English people would say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in Burmese, it's more like Myanmar, but yeah, you hear people, especially like in America, say Myanmar, Myanmar, lots of different ways to say it, I think. Okay. Always like to stop and, you know, readjust if necessary. So thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, are there dialects of Burmese? Yeah, there's some different ways to speak the language yeah some okay. of them like are pretty different some of them are just a little bit different so it's kind of hard to say well would you call this a dialect or is it just like a slight accent different mm -hmm. is that something that's maybe noted in different regions um mm -hmm. is it like a regional breakdown or like a class breakdown mm, you know there's Kind of, you could say two registers. They call it the written and the non-written, but you can also say the formal and the non-formal. Um, so like in everyday life where people just use the non-formal register, but then like on news broadcasts or like a speech or something, you'd use the formal or the written register. Um, so there is a bit of that. Um, but there is also regional variety, especially in the Southeast they can be quite hard, at least for me to understand. I think others as well. Um, they, yeah, use Burmese quite differently. Do you think that takes into account like the borders that share, um, the countries that share a border with, with Myanmar? Like, do, are there influences that way in the dialects at all that you've um, noticed? You know, there's like influence from mostly India, since India was also a British colony, they brought a lot of people from India. So there's some Indian words. I'm not even sure from what language, maybe Hindi, um, just words from that area. Um, but otherwise, you know, Burmese isn't spoken like indigenously on the borders. The borders are mostly inhabited by non-Bama people. So like Rakhine, Shan languages, Kachin languages, Naga languages. So I don't know if there's that much influence from like Thai and Chinese and Indian okay. languages. For the languages that are spoken um, toward the border, 
do those, do the speakers of those languages, do you know if there's any type of like code switching that happens or any type of translanguaging between Burmese and those indigenous languages around the borders? There, yeah, there's a lot of different things happening. It's kind of hard to, um, how do you say, sort of give an overall um, assessment, I guess. Um, yeah, there's lots of interesting languaging things happening. Some, some people, especially if they grew up closer to a city where maybe Burmese is used more, they might, some people have even forgotten words in their own language and they just use the Burmese word now. Um, and people will, you know, adjust the way they talk depending on who they're talking to. Some people have different levels of proficiency in different languages. Um, there's kind of, because you can say hierarchies, some languages are higher status, some are lower status. Yeah, so yeah, it's really interesting to see how people kind of change their uh, language practices depending on the situation and who they're talking to. Mm -hmm. When we are talking about all these languages spoken in the country, roughly how many are we talking about? Yeah, it's something like, uh, the official number is 135, but according to the government. Um, but there's still a lot of research that can be done. Most of these languages are pretty under-researched, underserved. Okay. okay. Um, what are some of the maybe bigger ones or some of the ones that, I don't want to say popular, but maybe widely distributed? Like, what are mm -hmm. some of the names of them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Burmese people always say there's like eight major groups, eight major languages, um, which isn't really true, <laughs> but it can be kind of a good place to start because um, okay. I'll refer to like the Karen language, but really there's not one Karen language. There's like usually 12 or 13. It kind of depends. People identify different ways. So some people linguistically, there's a lot of language you could call Karenic languages, but typically I would say like about 12 or 13 groups that would identify as Karen. But usually when people refer to the Karen language, they're referring to the Sago Karen language. It's probably the biggest Karen language with the largest population. Um, so Sago Karen, but sometimes they'll also be referring to Bo Karen, which is also just a large language that, in uh, terms of population. Okay. So you have those, you'll see them in the news a lot. They're actually in the world's longest running modern civil war. <laughs> so oh yeah, whenever you you hear, hear about Myanmar, you hear about the Karen a lot, um, but they're not a monolith. There's actually many different communities um, under that umbrella. Um, it's kind of similar to the rest of the country. Like we'll talk about Shan languages, which in like Thai, they would call them Dai languages. Just Burmese people call it Shan instead of Dai for mm -hmm. some reason. But there's lots of different Dai languages, mostly in the North, Northeast, Kachin languages, um, who is and isn't Kachin is also a little bit contentious. Some people will say it's these six groups, but then some of those groups will say, no, we're not Kachin. Yeah, I mean, I could keep going. I could, there's lots and lots of languages, lots of different groups. They're not got Chin. And again, like in India, usually they don't refer to them as Chin. That's more a Kuki or Kuki Chin. There's Rakhine, there's Mon. There's lots of other languages that don't fall under those umbrellas, like Aka, Lahu, what else? Danu, Blang, Moken. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, how do you observe the speakers of these languages or the languages themselves? Like, how do you observe them interacting with one another? Um, maybe that doesn't really make sense. Because I don't, I don't mean like, how do the people react with one another? But like, if you hear one language in one region, are you only hearing that language in that region? Or are you hearing... Um, like maybe three different languages in the same region or is there a higher occurrence in one place to hear maybe two and then maybe five in some other like what's what's how does it how does it all get mixed up yeah it kind of depends on the area it's I think it's interesting <laughs> um like so for example in Rakhine State You'll hear some Burmese, especially in the cities, but you also hear a lot of Rakhine. So most people who live in Rakhine State will speak the Rakhine language, even if they're not Rakhine. The Rakhine people don't typically typically speak other languages that are used in Rakhine State. So like there's Chin languages that are spoken in Rakhine State. 
and a few other languages. So Chim people, even though they're not Rakhine, will often speak Rakhine as well as Burmese. Not always. Depends. So yeah, in other areas, that's kind of similar to, like I was saying, the North East. Like you're, if you're Akha, then you might also speak Shan or Lan to like be able to go to get and buy food. But if you're Shan, you probably don't know Akha. But if you're Shan or Akha, there's a good chance you know some Chinese. Wow. Okay. Yeah, this is so fascinating. This is so fascinating. Um, oh my gosh. Do any of, so you mentioned earlier that, you know, there's some conflict going on um, and that's with like the Karen speakers or the Karen people, like. Lots of different people. <laughs> lots of different people. Okay. Yeah. Um, my question really is, does this conflict well if you want to tell us about it briefly um what what's what's happening and are do languages or do ethnicity play any part in this conflict that's happening yeah definitely yeah a lot of the conflicts there's lots of different armed groups in the country and usually those armed groups are at least claiming representation of a community and ethnicity or ethnic group. Um, sometimes that's a legit representation. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's kind of fuzzy. Um, so it's a little complicated. Um, but yeah, I think one of the primary grievances of those communities has been that um, in the past, especially, there was um, a lot of language oppression and just oppressive policies, so they weren't even allowed to use their languages in the past. Um, recently, it's changed, especially since 2010, but even 2008, the 2008 Constitution gave some more rights um, to speakers of other languages. But that's not the only reason for the conflict. <laughs> it's, it's a bit complicated, and um, yeah, you might have seen the news since February 1st, um, since the military took over parliament because they claimed voter fraud in the 2020 elections. Mm. Um, but since then, there's been conflict all over the country, which isn't necessarily based on ethnic lines. Okay. But does that make sense? <laughs> Sometimes like, I'm so familiar with all of it. I, it's hard to remember like other people aren't as familiar with it as I am. So I kind right. of leave out sometimes. No, but I mean... You can include as much as much detail as you think that we need to know, and especially because you've been on the ground there and you are familiar with it. And I'm I always say that I feel like the media that we have, particularly in the U.S., we're not getting. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, I promise, but like we're not getting the whole story. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like a lot of nuance gets left out and it's very easy to look at a country and say, oh, there's conflict going on. There's good people, there's bad people, and then just kind of move on to the next story. And I, I think that's really unfortunate because we don't, I'm speaking for myself and I'm probably making a huge assumption, but I feel like we don't, we don't really get a lot of like international news of mm -hmm. value. So we don't, we don't really understand anything outside from the lens of the United States. So, you know, that's part of why I asked that question too, because you have an insight, um, you know, to what, what it's really like there. And um, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that not only that it's happening, but you know, that we probably don't have the clearest picture that we could about this conflict. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that's even true in the Burmese media, you know, there's kind of a lot of glossing over of this kind of ethnic, quote unquote, tensions. Um, even most Burmese people don't have a very good understanding of what's happening. There's kind of, like I said, a group, oh, the Karen, and then there's a Shen, and there's a Kachin, but really even within that umbrella, there's a lot of, a lot of things happening and, you know, inclusion in that group and exclusion from that group isn't always so clear sometimes even that is contentious and can cause tension. Mm -hmm. How have you seen people, everyday, normal, average people being affected by this conflict? Uh, they, they've been hugely 
expected. Um, yeah, there's, I don't even know how many IDPs, hundreds of thousands. An IDP, sorry, is an internally displaced person. So someone who's basically a refugee in their own country. Yeah, and there's been a huge, they've been called the CDM, civil disobedience movement. So people have just stopped working for well, the military. And so lots of people have been targeted, like medics, doctors, teachers. I know, I know I've, I have a lot of friends that have had to flee their home. People have gone to the border. People just stay at home all day, every day because they can't go outside. Yeah, it's definitely affected people in very real, tangible ways. Wow. All of- where are people who are fleeing to? Where are they going? Just the jungle. Um, in the past, they would cross the border. But I think especially with COVID, especially Thailand hasn't been very willing to let people in. Um so they haven't done that as much now. Some people have gone into India. Um, yeah, it's not really possible across the border at Bangladesh, though. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Are there any resources that you recommend for people who are not familiar with what's happening in Myanmar to check out and to read more about it for themselves? Yeah, there's lots of different resources. Um, you can even just search the hashtag what's happening in Myanmar. You can, let's see, follow different news outlets like Frontier Myanmar or Myanmar Now. There's lots of different journalists, um, like on Twitter especially. You can, for advocacy in the States, you can follow, what can you do? GM for the the number four md gm4 md or the u.s advocacy coalition for myanmar i think that's what it's called um that's more of like advocacy in in the united states um yeah i think once you kind of start searching kind of go down a rabbit trail there's lots of different accounts especially on social media that you can follow i'm gonna look into those and I'm going to add them to the show notes for people to just find really quickly because um, I think we need to be aware of what's going on in our world and not just in our country. And I'm speaking as a someone living in the United States and, you know, I'm aware of my own bias and the bias that exists in our media. So I, I personally want to learn more and I encourage anyone listening to try and do the same for yourselves. I want to jump back to language uh, really quickly. And for the speakers of the indigenous, is indigenous, am I saying that right? Should I use indigenous languages? Yeah. Okay. You can, yeah. Whatever adjective you want to use, I think it's fine. <laughs> like, there's a reason why we don't use the word ethnic sometimes because ethnic, well, one, it's not very descriptive in English. And most people just think it's like, non-white at best and at worst like primitive so that's not ideal but also it's usually a translation of the Burmese Dayanba which literally means like indigenous or native so the Bama people like the dominant group are technically included in that but that word is never used to refer to Bama people it's only used to refer to non-Bama people so non-Bama people don't really appreciate that because that kind of separates the Bama kind of with the Mana like a higher status and like all the other non-Bama people are kind of pushed into this like ancillary preferry role. Mm. Okay. So that's why we don't usually use ethnic. <laughs> For speakers of the indigenous languages in the country, what is the movement like for them to have their languages be recognized? Um, do they, like, how do they feel about using and I realize I'm potentially asking you to speak for everyone and I, and I don't mean it like that, but just, I guess from what you've observed, do people feel any sort of way about having to use this national language when it maybe doesn't have to do with their language Mm -hmm. of of their heritage and their people? Like Mm -hmm. what is, what is that dynamic like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you said, it can kind of depend on the community and on the individual so some t- people will feel kind of inferior, especially if they don't know Burmese or if they're not proficient or confident in Burmese. Sometimes that can create these feelings of inferiority. Um, 
but sometimes it kind of creates the opposite. Um, it creates greater pride in one's language and heritage. Um, so yeah, some people kind of resent having to use Burmese. Um, others don't. There's really kind of a mix. And, you know, for a lot of people, Burmese is the language that they were traumatized in. So like if they heard Burmese that they knew they had to flee their village. So there's also that element to it. It's not just this kind of petty, oh, you weren't fair to us, so we don't like your language. Um, there's some real trauma associated with it sometimes. Right. Is there is there any kind of thing where people feel like they have to learn Burmese or are encouraged to learn Burmese in order to like find work or to mm -hmm. advance socially? Yeah, definitely. It's kind of something that we see because um, it's kind of my work. Um, so there are other sort of parallel education systems and different non-formal systems and schools um, where they don't teach in Burmese. Um, but the parents, even though they want, often usually want their kids to know their own language, they realize that they yeah they have to know Burmese and to, to be able to get a job to be able to go to university and they need to be able to integrate into the Burmese system because um, lots of these non um, non-state schools aren't accredited and so then they're not recognized they can't go to school and then they can't get a job so yeah even though sometimes there aren't always positive feelings towards Burmese um, they still yeah feel like they have to for economic purposes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was wondering about any kind of barriers in place that maybe, um, you know, makes it harder for people in rural areas to access, you know, an education in this language or to access resources in Burmese. And, and if any of that is done, like purposely, um, or Purposely sounds really, really sinister. <laughs> Sorry. Well, sometimes it's sinister. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, especially in the past, like I said, things um, started to change about in 2008 and especially in 2010. But yeah, in the past, there was this one language, one people, one nation policy. So it was the Burmese language, the, the Ma people the, in the country of Burma, now Myanmar, obviously. Um, so there was quite a lot of language oppression, like I said. Mm -hmm. um, and so there wasn't any opportunity for them to learn their own language. And then even till today, I mean, if they go to school, it's all in Burmese and they don't know Burmese, they don't learn anything. <laughs> they don't even learn the Burmese language. They're just like memorizing. They're just re reciting Burmese. Um, they like memorize how Burmese is written so they can read it, but they don't necessarily know what it means. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's, there's not as much access to the language because there's not really proper language teaching. Mm -hmm. In some areas, they're just kind of cut off from anyone that speaks Burmese. No one in their village speaks it, so they don't really have any way. They don't have any exposure. Do you know what the generational breakdown of something like that is? Like, if you have kids who are, who are having instruction in one language do you have these kids going home to parents who don't speak that language and then maybe parents are not able to help them and not able to to guide them in their um in their classwork at all yeah definitely yep <laughs> it's definitely a, an issue oh boy this episode should have been a lot longer because <laughs> <laughs> there's so much <laughs> so much to unpack here um now, I know that the border to Myanmar has been closed for so many years. When did it open? Because I remember when it opened, but I can't remember like what year it was. Because I remember there was like a big fuss. Well, you know, I guess it kind of depends because there's always been some exceptions. There's President Obama. And it, yeah, it depends on what country you're talking about too. For the States, President Obama lifted a lot of sanctions I guess when he was president, so probably around 2014, 2015, he was president then, right? Yes. So probably around that time. And then it became easier for 
especially Americans, to get in the country. Okay. And again, that illustrates what I mean, because I definitely asked that question from a U.S. lens, not realizing that, you know, 194 other countries, 93 other countries might have been able to enter this whole time. And it it just, you know, but I remember when it when it happened, like it was all over the news, just kind of like the way it was represented was like it was this closed off country that like no one's ever been to like you know, you could probably imagine like there were sheets over the furniture because it was locked up and closed. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, all the dust has been lifted off and like, we know that's not true. Um, But since you have uh, lived there and you've been on the ground there and you have this um, relationship with the the country and the the culture, um, what are some things that you enjoy about being there what are some things you enjoy about the culture and maybe some things that you think make it really stand out um, and make it really unique and special ah there's lots of things I enjoy I mean I enjoy all the languages (laughs) Um, and it's really quite large and kind of long it's about the same size of Texas so it's relatively large compared to the rest of Southeast Asia Um, and so it has kind of all sorts of what's the word geographical features like there's mountains there's the beach there's jungles there's waterfalls and caves so I like traveling around and seeing all these different places um it's a very pretty country um yeah the food is great people are super nice yeah super nice super helpful very eager um to learn about the outside world because like you were saying they were cut off for so long so very eager to connect with the rest of the world so very hospitable, um, pretty easygoing, I would say, in general. <laughs> There's lots of things I like about the country. Yeah. What are some things that you look forward to when, you, when you've been away for a while and you're returning? Like, what, what is, like, some of the first things you want to do when you get back? I, I really like food. <laughs> um, I do, too. So let's, <laughs> let's hit it. Let's talk about food. <laughs> um, yeah, especially when I get back, I'm usually coming back from the States, or let's just say when I'm coming back from the States, so I'm kind of like jet lagged, my uh, internal clock is a little bit off, so usually I'm up at like four or five in the morning, so it's usually a bit cool, because um, the sun's just coming up, so I like going um, to the market and to the tea shop and getting, they have what's called ijakwe, which I think is actually a Chinese word, um, so it might have come from China, it's just like fried dough it looks like a breadstick almost but it's not salty it doesn't really have much taste that's why i always get it with a side of lepeye which is about tea which i think probably came from india um it's with what is it with i guess sweetened condensed milk and it's very good i like to dupe that um fried dough in the tea and eat it um that's nice is it crunchy not really not really kind of soft okay yeah, I think that's really good. Deep fried, deep fried dough. <laughs> that so yeah, I like good. going, yeah, doing that. It's There's like people out and about, but it's not super crowded. It's not super loud yet. It can get really loud in the city where I live. Um, lots of buses and it's kind of yelling. So it's kind of quiet in the morning and I don't know, this, that's what I look forward to. <laughs> what is something that, what is something that you would want people who have never been to know about uh, Myanmar, maybe something that people may be under the wrong impression about or have the wrong idea of, then, you know, you'd want them to know what you know. Yeah. I mean, I guess kind of what we've been talking about, <laughs> like it's very diverse. Um, Cause even if you are paying attention to Myanmar and you know some about it, even if you've lived there, honestly, a lot of people just stay in the big city and they only see like a little fraction of the country, right? It's very linguistically diverse, ethnically diverse, um, the food, there's lots of different food. If you're just in Yangon, you won't get to see all of the different kind of food that you can get all over the country. Um, yeah, that it's not, um, what's the word? You know, just kind of known for a lot of, bad things at the moment, like also fighting. And it's not, um, the people aren't 
these like aggressive, hostile people. They're not violent people. Obviously, some people are, but it's a minority that's kind of giving everyone a bad reputation. Mm. And I have one more question about food. Well, I have like five more questions, but I want to be mindful of your time. Is the food in Myanmar, is it spicy? Is it mild? Is it herbaceous? Like what what are some of the common like bases, I guess, in the dishes that you'd find there? Yeah, like I said, there's really quite a lot of variety. Some people, like some groups are known for their really spicy food, like rakhine is super spicy. Um, Kachin also has lots of spicy dishes. But the sort of the standard, like Bama, especially you would find in the big city like Yangon, it's not really spicy. There are some dishes that are spicy. And there's usually some like condiments on the table. So you can add spice, but usually actually, especially Bama food isn't very spicy. Um, there's a lot of oil, especially the Bama use a lot of oil. Sometimes the non-Bama people will comment on how much oil <laughs> Bama people will use. Um, so yeah, but a lot of rice, that's kind of the overarching staple all over the country, lots of rice. Okay, nothing wrong with rice. Nope. <laughs> there is a Burmese restaurant here in New York City that is actually not too far from where I live. And it's in the subway station. It's mm-hmm. this teeny tiny. And like, it's been in the news, like it's, it's become like a sensation, but it's this teeny tiny, like they started, I think as a coffee shop and they were serving like Burmese coffee and now they do lunch. So they do like salads and they do all these kind of things. Uh-huh. Um. I have to get over there. I really want to try it. Okay, so let's talk about your initiative, Myanmar Indigenous Community Partners. What were some of the factors that went into developing the initiative? And what are some of your goals and some things that you hope to accomplish with with, um, MICP? So I started this organization with two of my colleagues. They're both Burmese, both from non-Bama Indigenous communities. So we've been doing this kind of work for quite some time. We've worked together on a few different projects. Um, So we just wanted to start this organization so we could better serve this, serve them, um, these communities. um, because we'll be able to apply for grants and solicit funds um, if we're officially registered. Um, So we basically do things like what I've been talking about, especially language and education. it's something that people are asking for. They want to preserve their language. Um, and it's something that they need. They need their children need to learn in their first language first. Um, Cause they need that. And actually education, we call it scaffolding, right? So they need to, you have to build on what the learner already knows. The learner already knows their first language, the language they use at home. So, and from that, I mean, you can bridge to other languages. Um, so like I said, they, at this point kind of need Burmese. Um, they also want English. Um, so then they can start in their first language and bridge to other languages. Um, but they don't really have, most groups um, don't have very much um, reading materials or instructional materials, curriculum in their first language. So we help them develop that. We help train teachers, um, sort of everything in the process. So some groups don't even have a written language or they're developing the orthography. Some groups, like I said, have their own education system. They just need to strengthen it and really work out how to um, ensure their kids learn the languages they want them to learn. Mm -hmm. Tell us where we can find you and how we can help to support. Yeah, we are on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Myanmar ICP. We have a website myanmaicp.org um so yeah i mean you can just follow along follow along and learn about both Myanmar, learn about language and linguistics and language issues both specifically in regards to Myanmar, but also kind of more generally broadly most people don't ever think about language and what language is and isn't and yeah there's not always that much linguistic awareness so i guess that's the biggest thing just encouraging people to think about language Yeah, that's what I try to do, too. Yeah. (laughs)
I will add the links to that also in the show notes for people to check out. And I encourage you all listening to um, check them out and support where you can. As we learn from this conversation, like language preservation is important and um, I'm happy to support you guys. So yeah, thanks a lot. How do you think in general that people living outside of Myanmar can support indigenous communities there, whether we are... um, you know, supporting your initiative or just in general, like what are some things that, um, you know, we could do to support indigenous communities there? Yeah, I think a lot of different ways. Um, you know, like you said, there's that restaurant in New York. Um, those kind of like a practical, like very basic level, um, just supporting businesses. Like if there's Burmese businesses where you are, um, yeah, support them. Um, especially now they're spent, they're sending lots and lots of money back um to their friends and family back home so if you can do that it's kind of a win-win you get to taste Burmese food and help them uh on their business especially after COVID right I mean every small business is struggling um so yeah it's kind of a practical level and like I said just kind of learn more ask questions what else can you do I mean I think you can also learn about the the languages spoken where you are like if you're in the states either either indigenous language or you know refugee immigrant languages or just non-english languages they don't necessarily have to be refugee immigrant languages um so i think you know america is a very influential and powerful country and a lot of times people kind of look to us as a model but we don't really have the greatest like language policy things like that so i think we can um kind of be a model and example for the rest of the world as well so even just becoming more aware of the language around you and language issues that exists yeah. here on a social level on a political level everything I agree with that completely yeah <laughs> I think we need to do more to be you know multilingual in this country and accepting of that and curious mm-hmm. about about that Thank you so much, Katie, for this conversation. Um, I learned a lot and I have so much more research to do. So thank you for putting that spark in my head and hopefully in my listeners' heads too. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for thanks for talking. Yeah. I like to end each episode on the same question, which is, do you have any jokes, tongue twisters, cool slang words, idioms, words of wisdom or words of advice in Burmese or any other indigenous language in Myanmar to share. And you have to teach it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. I'm not good at tongue twisters. There's lots of idioms, but I can never, not idioms, proverbs, but I can never remember them. Um, I mean, there's a word that kind of means like cool, but not literally. Literally means like dark or even kind of bad. Mm. Uh, but if you say slang, it's kind of like, oh, that's cool. That's neat. Whatever. Um, yeah. Let's say, let's say my day. My day. Yeah. My day. My day. My oh, day. I like that. <laughs> So we hear it a lot, and it was a, a person. So this journalist, Clarissa Ward, an American journalist, came to Myanmar maybe in March, and she was talking to the military spokesman, and she asked him, like, because um, the military detained um, one of the uh, leaders um, that was in government. Anyway, her name is Aung San Suu Kyi, and her dad is kind of known as this martyr in Myanmar. He was killed, I guess, right after. He was like a, what's the word? He fought for independence from the British. So he's like this local hero in Myanmar. Um, so the mili- everyone kind of venerates him. Everyone likes her dad. But now his daughter and the military don't get along. Um, so she's jailed right now. Um, because of the military, the military put in jail. Um, so anyway, so the closer war, this journalist asked the military spokesman 
what her dad would say about the situation. This is a long explanation for this little word. <laughs> but he responded, he responded, my like dang, not the me, like he's the word my day, but he used it in this like really old time, like old people way. And it was just everyone thought it was very funny. It became a meme. Um, because he didn't mean it like in the cool slang way. He meant it like the like you're a fool, you're being a bad person kind of way. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny especially because that journalist had no idea what the connotations were she because she didn't know Burmese she just heard the translation and the the way the guy translated was also kind of weird so anyway (laughs) if you look back on the memes you'll see memes related to that my day can also mean like a like a gangster or like a what is it called like a gang (laughs) so these like memes of this woman that's in jail I was like a gangster. It was kind of funny. Interesting. Oh, I love a good memeable moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that makes sense. That was a really long explanation. <laughs> no, that's great. It's great to, to see where these, you know, where these things come from. And that was your explanation. So <laughs> thank you so much again. And before I let you go, don't think about this too hard, but um, in this situation, after we've been talking for a while and we're going our separate ways, what would be the best way in Burmese to say goodbye? <laughs> it's weird on Zoom. Like, this isn't really a natural uh, thing. Sometimes they'll just use English bye. Or, I mean, I've been on a lot of Zoom meetings recently, so this should, like, I should already know this. Yeah, literally sometimes they'll use the English by or they'll say like good evening good or good night, good morning. Some literally in English. Because, really? Yeah, because this isn't really like a natural kind of situation, right? Over Zoom. And usually if you're in person, I mean you might say like I'm going now, Bobby no. But yeah, the greetings just aren't quite the same it's yeah pretty different so sometimes we'll use english greetings instead if you're on the phone you would you would say that's all or like i'm hanging up now very direct yeah sometimes <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's do the phone one let's pretend we've been on the phone um and you're hanging up what do you say at first i would say that's all. Uh, Dave no? Yeah. Dave no. Dave no. Katie. Oh, thank you so much again. <laughs> and uh, I'll be talking to you soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.